Hey guys, welcome to our Coffee with Alan time today. Um, I wanted to talk about something today that kind of, is very multifaceted. I'm trying to figure out even like how to lay down, you know, put my finger on, on what I'm really, the main point. Um, you know, from being, you know, being used, getting used to being offensive um, to Christians and to the, the culture um, and, and wrapping our mind around what, it, what does it mean to be a part of a, of, of a movement and get a lot of a lot of energy, a lot of positive uh, feedback, and lots of lots of people following, right? Um, only for that movement to lose uh, uh, energy, lose steam, lose numbers, and then it dwindles down to just a handful of people. And what that does to our our, our hearts and our spirits, and what do we need to get used to in our lives and in our faith? Uh, in, in going into, into the culture, going into the world, going into, the, into our lives ahead of us, um, and remaining faithful to the gospel, remaining faithful to Jesus, uh, and still desiring for people to come and be a part of the church and, and faith overall. And what does it mean to wrap around, like wrap our, our minds around and our, our hearts around? What does it take? What does it mean to present a gospel? expression or experience um, to a world and it means something um, like for instance you know just I, I read a, a great a great uh, article by a friend of mine uh, just talking about how uh, the worship gatherings that we have on Sunday mornings have become very heady very lecture teaching based I mean, been that way for hundreds of years um, and I think one of the things that we saw in co you know in COVID and, and now you know post COVID coming out of this like the, the church has still not recovered right we, we saw just thousands and thousands millions of people leaving the church in America and worldwide and most of which never to return um, or now they're just simply not coming up they're not showing up they're not coming and they're watching from home they're they're maybe maybe watching it from home uh, worshiping from their couch um, which I'd actually pose isn't a thing um, and so there is this element where, where the church experience, uh, in order to go forward, is a, an experiential experience, <laughs> not just a knowledge base, not just a Bible study, not just getting, growing in our knowledge about, about theology and, and God and the Bible, um, but it is, it is our, our faith has to be on the forefront of our mind, a experiential faith not simply a knowledge faith because I mean because that's the thing like you cannot come to faith through knowledge um, and reason I was, I was trying to find this scripture passage here this morning that I read this morning in our devotionals that really really spurred a lot of this it seemed like God, God, God is laying the foundations for this for this coffee with Alan time today um, in, in this thought that you cannot arrive at the knowledge, at the, at faith, you cannot come to faith in Jesus specifically through knowledge. It's gotta be because you experienced the living God. You, you experienced the living Christ. And, uh, so I just, I was stirring, stirring in me, like we, we read about, um, 
this, uh, we read about this in John chapter 6 this morning in our quiet time, where Jesus feeds the 5,000 people. Like, it's crazy, amazing miracle. And then, you know, what does he do? He runs away. <laughs> he, he goes and he pulls away and he goes out in the mountain somewhere and his disciples, he tells the disciples to go ahead and go, go ahead of him. And, he, and they do, like they go ahead and they, they sail across the Sea of Galilee and they, they end up across the sea in, in, uh, in this area. Uh, I want to say back in Capernaum, and but Jesus comes in the middle of the night, and he is walking on the water, and they're like, "Whoa!" And so like, and Peter like, "Hey, if you're if it's you, Lord, like, call me out on the water with you." And he does, and he's like, "Oh no, the waves!" And he starts to drown, and Jesus like, you know, pulls him up. He's like, "Hey, where, where's your faith?" But we see this; they they got to experience something beautiful and incredible, and even the day before, um, the feeding of the five thousand, um, that was a huge miracle, an amazing, incredible, incredible miracle. Uh, feeding 5,000 people from just a few loaves and a few and a couple fish, um, and so is the they got to experience this miracle, and then they got to experience another miracle, and they got over to the other end of the sea, and the people who got fed in the, in the feeding of the 5,000, they came across the sea and found him. They found Jesus, and they were they were just discussing, and Jesus was like, "Hey, you you're you're looking for me here because you got fed, not because you actually saw what I did and believed. You just you wanted more bread." You wanted more food. You wanted me to feed you. Um, and so kind of one kind of random side question, like did the did the people over there know that it was a miracle? Did they not? Um, did they, were they aware that Jesus fed them out of nothing, out of a little bit of something, something, a little bit of bread, and then like multiplied it? Did they know? Um, or did they just simply were like, oh, that's a good fish and good bread. We want more. You know, I don't know. Um, it was teaching. Uh, teaching them and then fed them and that's and that's here's the thing they were gathering together thousands and thousands of people you know at least 5,000 men is this as this part said you know 5,000 men came you know, and, and women and you know, different people came from all around just to hear Jesus speak just to see him heal and to and you know heal the sick and to and and the, and the lame and, and the blind and doing all these incredible miracles and teaching incredible things and they wanted more um, and so, and that's why they gathered. That's why they gathered to him, and that's why he had the opportunity to feed thousands and thousands of people. And then um, they, they come. They come to him. Um, that and and they're like, "Where'd you go?" He's like, "Well, you you saw, um, you you saw, you got fed, you know, and all these things. You know, truly, I tell you, uh, or does he like the the crowd came to him." Um, so when do you get here? Truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we, what, what can we do to perform the works of God? And he said, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. And then, it's interesting, so they saw the signs, they, fed, they ate the food, and then they still have the gall to say, well, what sign, what sign are you going to do that we may see and believe you? I can just see Jesus going like, really? Seriously? Like you did not just see like me feed the 5,000 people and like healing all these people and you, you still are missing this? Really? Seriously? You know, it's just like, and he's like, what are you, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. So just as it is written, he gave them have, you know, bread from heaven to eat. He's like, did you not just see, I just gave you bread from heaven. 
I mean, I think maybe they, maybe they didn't realize that it was a, a sign. Maybe they didn't realize that it was a wonder um, and a miracle that he just performed. He said, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give, the, give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Like, oh, well, give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one comes to me with, you know, who, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but, to ra but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. They started grumbling yeah. about him because he said, I'm the bread of life that comes around. Right. It's like, well, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Like, we know this guy. This is common. <laughs> Whose, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I have come down from heaven? They didn't get it. Jesus answered them, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they will, be, and, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened, and, listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who, who is from God. He's like me. You know. He has seen the Father. Basically, he's, seen, he's saying, I have seen the Father. Um, and as he, he just continues on. He's like, you know, basically, eat my body, drink my blood. And they're like, bah! You know, freaking out. They're like, uh, this is kind of getting weird and creepy here. What's going on here? They still did not grasp this. They, didn't, they still didn't get it. Um, yeah, basically he said, and we'll get this, you know, your, your ancestors ate the manna from heaven, and guess what? They died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. Uh, he basically saying, you know, follow me, ingest me, you know, understand me. He said, therefore, many of the disciples heard this. They said, this teaching is hard. Who can hear it or receive it, accept it? Um, Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, and here's the thing, listen to this, the disciples... This is not just simply the, the 12. This is like the 12 plus the, you know, many, many, you know, probably even hundreds more. He had like an entourage, a posse, right, that was following him. They started grumbling and said, and he said, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending, you know, to where he was before? It's like, will it take me like shining in my glory and like rising up physically into the heavens? Which is funny because he later did. And they believed and, and worshipped and he so, said that there was still some that doubted, right? Um, construction next door apparently you know, okay <laughs> um, you know will, will it take this incredible sign um, the, you know, the spirit is the one who gives life the flesh doesn't help at all the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life but there are some among you who don't believe for Jesus knew from the beginning those who would believe and the one who would betray him. Those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. For that, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you want to go away too? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have come... Sorry, 
We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He, is, he was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. So there is this element of being willing to be offensive simply by saying this is what we believe. We believe Jesus. We believe these things. We believe that there is a thing called, such thing called sin and everyone, everyone needs to change their mind about who they are and believe in God, believe the gospel, believe that they are a sinner in need of grace and, and broken in, in need of restoration to God. To God. And this, this word uh, in scripture called metanoia is oftentimes translated repent. Change their mind, change their thinking about their life, about, how, about who is the one that rules their life and, 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 and have God as the one that, that rules your life. Have God as the one who is the one that sets the, sets the trajectory for your life, is the Lord of your life. That's always talk about, Lord of your life being the, the leader of your life, showing you and telling you what to do, where to go and how to do it and who to go. He is the leader of your life. And so to walk with him is to walk in spirit and in truth. It's to walk by the spirit, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that is what it means to follow Jesus today, is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Um, and that, you know, we, we obey him, we, 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 we listen to him, we talk to him, we have a relationship with him. We open up his word, we read his, read his word, we follow his word, um, and we take it seriously. Um, and so there, there's that, this, this, this thought of like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Now, the people, you know, it was, so let's just go with the assumption that maybe they didn't, the people didn't know that, they, um, that Jesus had, had actually done a sign and a wonder by feeding the, these thousands of people with very few loaves of, fish, very few loaves of bread and, and, very, and only a couple of fish. And they, ha, they, they experienced something, but maybe they didn't even understand that they experienced it. They they went they were they got they went they followed Jesus because of well, what because of what he was teaching because of what he had been, you know what they had been seeing him do they had knowledge of, of these things um, and many people had been experiencing Jesus um, but they, they came to hear him teach they came to to hear him and to grow in knowledge but that knowledge wasn't enough and so we see that th that thousands stop following Jesus in one day. I always say, you know, the, if Jesus were, were a pastor today, he would be like, he, no one would invite him to their church planting conferences. Like, no, he would be the last person that people would go to for leadership advice and, and, right, and pastoral counsel. Um, so there's just that, that element that of, in our, in our modern day church today, that we, for some reason, equate numbers and population in the church worship services and programs um, to success and effectiveness, right? We had Jesus, he valued people who followed. He valued people, even if it was just a few, who devoted themselves to following him, who devoted them, themselves to, to him and to, his, to not just to his teaching, but to experience him to experience what he did, experience the miracles, experience his divinity every day, and day in and day out. And so I love this, this part of the post. And I'll just read it here to you here. Uh, this is Jason Bowker from First Baptist Bozeman. He was saying, he's quoting this guy, Ronner, 
um, basically saying he'd been reading this guy. So I think Rahner is arguing that in a postmodern, post-Christian world where cultural Christianity is no longer a thing, and average Americans no longer flood churches on Sunday mornings just because the doors are open, people will be decreasingly interested in Christianity un unless they actually, both personally and communally, encounter and experience the presence of God on a regular basis. Um, the, the author, uh, Brian Zand, uh, says a similar thing by saying the faith of the future will be sustained by, by an experience, not an argument. In short, our faith must be tangible and real. It must be practiced, not just understood. It must be lived out, not just believed in. It is not experienced, and if it's not experienced and practiced, it simply won't last. Which is why we've worked hard at, at Turtonses in, in Bozeman First Baptist to cultivate a posture of awareness. I am convinced that God is always at our, at, at, always at our world and in our lives and in the world. If we only have eyes to see, so, we, so as we seek to grow in our faith, we must can constantly strive for a ways to experience the presence of God uh, ra uh, rather than information to understand about God. Um, he continues on a little, bit, a little bit later. He says, because if our... Uh, if if Ron and Zand, Roner and Zand are correct, however, this also has a huge Im implication for how we can best connect with our world through evangelism and mission. Because if our post-Christian world is no longer interested in and will no longer be swayed by a rational argument for faith, then it's incumbent upon the church to both embody the presence of God and f for the world and to help the world recognize and experience God's presence. Uh, so basically saying, you know, that we're looking for um, an experience, not simply knowledge, right? It's understanding that we follow a God who wants to experience life with us, who wants us to experience our life and our faith with him. I mean, think about that. The disciples followed Jesus. They got to see and experience his miracles every day. They got to hear his words, yes, and learn and, and grow in knowledge and be you know, around the campfire with Jesus and, and, and understand his intention and his heart, right? Um, but it's this, this, and they also then got to be in the boat and see Jesus walking on the water. They got to see Jesus healing. They got to be a part of the, the understanding that they had nothing. They had five loaves and two fish, and they got to under, have that understanding that with these things, he miraculously multiplied them and saw thousands of people being fed by this very little. They got to experience Jesus. And that is what it means to experience Jesus. And that's what I love what he's saying, what Jason's saying here, is that people need to experience Jesus in order to know Jesus. They can't just simply know about him and feel like they're, and, and, we, and us feel like we're, they're experiencing them. Like know him and then experience him. I think people need to experience Jesus in their lives and then get to know him like like my friend uh, mindy as well i love her story just that she came and she there's no earthly reason why she should have come to faith in jesus at all and yet god interceded i love those words you know but god you know interceded came in and she experienced the living christ um personally and through relationally through through a friend and then now has came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and now is growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. This is the way that Jesus brought most people to him, was by experiencing him and then them knowing him, getting to know him. And so we can't just simply get people to know Jesus. That's why I said, you know, think about, you know, about, uh, about Nathaniel, the calling of Nathaniel. 
uh, I think it was Philip who called, who came, and he said, you know, come and see. We found the Messiah. He's like, oh, you know, like, oh, you know, Jesus of Nazareth. Like, oh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Really, can a Messiah come out of Nazareth? Right. I don't believe it. And what did Nathan, what did he say to Nathaniel? Come and see. You don't believe because I've told you these things and, and given you knowledge of these things. You need to come and experience him and then you will believe. Come and experience the living Christ and then you will believe that this is the Messiah, that this is the Holy One of God. Um, and so I think that is, that is where we are at in our world today too. Is that we, the way that we, with our mission in, in evangelism, the way that people, we need, you know, people... Well, either, you know, you know, A, our own people will stay at our, in, in churches and new people will come to our church, you know, churches, our gathering places, our, our assembly of, of, of God's people is, is by them experiencing the living God. And there's the question, do people experience the living God in our Sunday morning gatherings, in our discipleship relationships, and in our... Um, in our in our small groups, in our discipleship groups, in our what well, we what we have at Shift Church called Act Groups, right? Do people experience the living God in the Christian community, individually, relationally, and corporately? Because that is where that is where things will shift. That is what needs. That is what I believe needs to happen. And therein lies the deal: is we need to be comfortable with being offensive and what does that what do I mean by being offensive like making people mad upset when no I think what it is is that concept of, of offense is oftentimes the reaction when things are different when things are new when things are not as they used to be um, because and there's a reason why things change there's a reason why things shift is because old things were ineffective to accomplish what God wants to do, or you know, accomplish something, you know, things that pe that people want to do in the future, um, like roads. We'll just we'll go with that example, right? But it's the one just popped in my head. Right. Um, dirt roads are not um, are not good enough for going 80 miles an hour on safely in a car. Um, you know, wooden wheels with metal rings were not sufficient for the new way of driving. We had to change and update our technology to do what needed to be done in this new gen in this new generation of technology, right? And I think that is where we don't change the gospel. We the gospel is always the same. Um, we we make it applicable to the we, we show how it is already relevant we don't try to make the gospel relevant it already is relevant what we do is we we use tools to show that it is relevant and to, you know to our, our everyday lives right um and so that is where the offense can come in is when we start to do things differently within the faith expression of the church um but i think we need to have open minds and open hearts for ourselves to maybe even think that way ourselves first. How do we experience God? How do we experience God um, effectively, uh, faithfully? How do we preach the gospel and experience God uh, faithfully? Uh, because it's it, it, you know knowledge of God comes through the preaching of God, but it, the the belief in God, faith in God, comes from experiencing God. 
so how do we help people to experience God? Having, cultivating spaces and relationships for people to ex ex encounter the living God through you, um, personally, uh, relationally through, through, through small groups and corporately through the gathering of the church. And uh, we need to be willing to, to change our mind, to, to shift our thinking when it comes to this. Because um, remember, Jesus was not afraid of losing people. Not that we, our goal is like, we want to we want to change things so that people will leave our churches. So we're like, oh, we're effective. Look at all the people that left. No, people have already left uh, our churches. I think we're right in the middle of people are offended because for whatever reason, we're try still trying to figure that out. You know, the, the, it's become, become easy to just simply not go to church, not go and show up to the gathering of God's people. Um, and so, but understanding and coming to the understanding that we are still a part of the worldwide timeless movement of God. Um, just like the disciples. They said, you know, Jesus asked them, like, are you going to leave too? And they said, well, where are we to go? I mean, you have the words to eternal life. You've, you've got the words of truth. And so we're going to stay. And so, but can you I mean, feel, feel the, the way, you know, feel that emotion that they felt. You know, they were starting to get excited, like, oh, wow, look, all these thousands of people are, are, are showing up they're they're coming it's easy to, to get discouraged when we start to see the numbers in our churches dwindling now i know several churches that have had to close their doors permanently uh, several churches that have had to go to, you know from two services to one service have had to lay off staff have had to shift their their ministry uh, because you know because people are not showing up people aren't coming to the gathering of the church and so it's so it's it becomes so easy to get discouraged it becomes easy to get um, de maybe depressed, um, discouraged, especially pastors. You know, it's, I was I've been discouraged quite a bit. Um, you know, over this last season, um, and you know, people who have been super faithful, and now we see them maybe once or twice a month, if that. Um, people we used to see all the time, and now we never see anymore. And so it's like we I have there's this discouragement, and it's like you know this. Well, what if I could have. Could I've done something different? Could I've done? It's my fault. Um, and so it's like, how? What is? How are people not experiencing God in our in, in our church and in churches in general? Um, because this is a thing that is has become normative across the board. Um, it's, it's kind of one of those. How, often it's like we, we get up, we get all worried and stressed out and fearful. Like, oh no, we're all all these people. These people are leaving the churches. It's like. And it can turn so much into this identity thing, especially for people for people in ministry. You know, all these people are, are leaving, and I, I'm deflated. So I might leave as well because I feel deflated because I'm not ex as excited about the movement that I've been a part of. You know, kind of like with any kind of you know movement or you know trend or fad that comes in and goes away. You know, we like to be a part of things that have momentum and traction. We, we the, you know. We use these words, you know, momentum and traction, and you know, in in churches these days, especially, we've 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 adopted and, and embraced this corporate mindset of numbers equal effectiveness, numbers equal effectiveness, or or you know, success, right? Um, how do we know if we're being successful? We've got butts and bucks. We've got numbers that we can measure and track. You know, I've been a part of churches where if they didn't get the numbers, they fired the staff member in charge of those numbers, right? 
um, for, for years. I mean, youth ministry has been that get the numbers or get fired, right? Um, like someone even offered, you know, they were like, hey, you want to move here and uh, be, be, be the youth pastor at my church? I'm like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. You know, I've been, there, been in that world. I've been in that culture where discipleship was second to numbers. And just that has become such a, a, a staunch reality in our, in our culture today that numbers equal success. We've inherited values from our corporate culture. Um, you know, co- consumerism rampant in, 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 in society as a, as Amer- and as American value. And we have inherited that value in the church today. And so now I think we're seeing a wake-up call in the church. Thousands of people are leaving. Thousands of churches are closing. Pastors are being laid off. Pastors are quitting. Um, people are just leaving ministry in the church overall. Um, many people are just walking away from their faith in general because it was wrapped, in, wrapped around a, a societal movement in an organization. Um, and they're being left hollow. And here, here's, I think, one of the main reasons why is because people put their faith in the movement, not in the Jesus of the movement. Um, they put their value in the celebrity statuses of either the, the person, the pastor, the celebrity at the top, or in the church as their celebrity. They worshiped a brand, uh, not, a per, not, a, not a Jesus. They worshiped a brand, not a Jesus, not a savior. Um, and so how do we help people to experience the true Jesus the true Savior experience God himself in all of his glory and all of his goodness and that was a great question one that I've that I've been wrestling with for a while you know as, I, as we've had our coffee you know coffee with Allen's and trying to think about what to talk about We've had our the- my the- the theology pub that, that I lead every other Wednesday night. Um, and just asking people, like, what is important to you and your faith? What does it mean to engage and to be devoted to Jesus? Like, why are you devoted to Jesus? Why would you, what, what is important to you and your faith to grow in your faith, to walk in your faith, to continue in your faith? Um, if you could put your thumb on it, put a, put a finger on it, what is the most important thing uh, that you value in your life and in your faith? Uh, that maybe the church is missing. Um, and how do we engage with that? Um, because my heart is I want to be faithful to Scripture and faithful to Christ and faithful to the Lord by being faithful to the over 100 times it says one another in the New Testament. And maybe that is where the offense is going to start to, to arise in the church is when we start saying, the church is all about the one another. The church has not been all about the one another in the past. And so we are changing things dramatically, radically, to make the church all about the one another. So either get in or, or you're going to miss the boat, right? And not that we are intentionally leaving people out and, and abandoning people and, and pushing people away. It's not our hope. Our hope and our desire is that they would come and desire to experience God relationally within the church that they are a part of, not just come to a church service on a Sunday morning, um, but to be in the church, be be the church, be a part of the church, to be a part of a place to where you can one another, one another, right? 
um, like Jesus even says, you know, you blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Um, but you know, the, the last one I want to focus on: blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Because what did the Son of Man say? Love one another. He cultivated a community, relational ministry, right? And he says, you know, but woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Um, but he said, the very next verse, but I say to you who listen, what? Love your enemies, do good for those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek and he can just continues all these, this radical difference, right? This is his manifesto. He's setting up this, this one another culture in the, in his church, right? Um, and so this is, this is where we, I want to conclude here because we're, we're running pretty long on this one today. Be okay with being offensive if it means being faithful to Christ. That's hard. That's, that's hard for the church culture that has constantly been people pleasers as the culture. Pleasing one another, making, you know, just bending over backwards uh, politically and, and economically within a church organization to try to please everyone so that they can build their numbers because building numbers makes it means you're successful. Having three, four, five hundred people in your church organization is a success versus how, do, how are we faithfully walking with God, walking with one another and, and experiencing him together while preaching the gospel and growing in our knowledge of our faith, growing in the knowledge of scripture and biblical history in order to be able to more effectively one another, one another, love one another. That is Jesus' command. And, and so it's so easy to be, become offensive when we start to truly encounter and engage in living that way. Um, think about it. Jesus was offensive to the religious rulers of his day that had one culture that they were living in, the traditions that they had built over hundreds of years, and he was coming through and obliterating all of them. Obliterating all of them. He became so offensive um, to, the, to the religious, to those who were so stuck in the ways of the past and the way that they were taught by their ancestors and their ancestors and their ancestors that started off good and beneficial because they didn't want to, they, didn't, they wanted to stay faithful to God. And so they cultivated this whole religious system so that they would still continue to be faithful to God. But what happened is they started to actually offend God by their inability to truly be who God had created them to be. So that, I think, is where we're at in the church today. We have cultivated such traditions and traditions and traditions that we're not willing to actually abide by and follow the, the mandates of Scripture to ex truly experience the living God. And so this generation is uprooting a lot of these things and going back to a new generation, a new way of being, a new way of doing things um, to try to, to go back to the origins of, our, of the early church and to see what was it that made this church so special, made this church so powerful, made, made exp you know, ha and, and experienced God so radically and so beautifully that the, the, a persecuting world couldn't contain the church. It exploded um, into a, a world that hated it. And so how do we, as the church, explode into a culture that is growingly, increasingly more and more growing to hate God's people. Um, and being okay with being offensive and hated. 
uh, says, expect it. John chapter 15, right? You know, blessed are you, blessed are you when you are hated. And that's what he says in Luke and, and Mark and, and Matthew. Uh, blessed are you when they hate you, insult you, and speak all sorts of evil against you in my name because of me, on, this, on my sake, on behalf of me. He said, you know, just think, no, you're going to have enemies. You know, I'm just I'm going to read it. John chapter 15. Let's go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me, hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. So if, we, if we're popular and have a lot of favor and, and things from the, from the world and the culture around us, are we truly being faithful to the Lord? Now, it's not also not a litmus test to say, well, does, unless the world hates us, then we're not being faithful to God. I don't, I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive. Like, you know, we have to be hated by the world in order to be, feel like we're being faithful to God. But it says, don't be surprised when the world hates you because of me. Um, because you, I have, you know, how we're not, because you are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But if they do, but they do, I'm sorry, but they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. Um, if I had not come and spoken to, you, to them, they would have not, they would not be guilty of sin. Um, if I had not, uh, now they have no excuse for them, for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. Um, but this happens so that the statement is written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. Uh, when the counselor comes, that's the Holy Spirit, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. He will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. And so I think there is an element of being done, uh, putting our state our, our our stamp of approval receiving our stamp of approval from the world and from the church from you know evangelicals evangelicalism you know just the popular you know the church popular um like we're we're being effective we're being faithful because the world likes us and the world accepts us the world is blessing us the world doesn't hate us and the church is affirming us and celebrating us and what we're doing as a church organization. I think we have to take both of those away and say we need to be faithful and, and we are, are being faithful and effective. Uh, we have a uh, belief in this um, because God says so. Because we feel in our spirits, we sense in our spirits that we are being faithful to the gospel, to the one another, whether we are um, accepted and welcomed and received and um, affirmed by the world or by the church culture. Uh, we have to see, be willing to be offensive, to do what is right and faithful to God. Walk with His, walk, walk by His Spirit. Keep in step with His Spirit and keep engaging with him. Um, yeah. I think that's all I got, <laughs> at least for today. So, um, again, this is something that is, is a very 
this has been a discussion for a while, and, and still I have a feeling it's going to continue to be a discussion, and something that I'm thinking through and praying through. How do we help people to experience the living God? Write your write your your notes in the comments, uh, and maybe your thoughts or hey, shoot me a message. I'd love to sit down with you for some coffee. So let me know. So, love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.